Merry Christmas. I, you can do a little better than that. Merry Christmas. There you are. Great, great. Good to be with you today. Uh, we want to talk for a few minutes about the wonder of Christmas. And the way that we discover wonder, I think, comes whenever we realize just how big our God truly is. Now, for a lot of us, uh, as we've gotten older, it's been difficult for us to experience wonder. I, I know that's certainly the case for me. Um, you know, whenever I was a kid, wonder seemed to come naturally. And I'm sure that if you have kids in your house or grandkids around or kids in your neighborhood, you see that on a regular basis, they're excited about almost anything. They'll see something new for the very first time and their minds are blown. They're excited. They experience wonder on a regular basis. But for those of us, as we get older, we start to become more jaded, more cynical, less impressed with life. We've seen everything, and we simply don't really experience wonder the way that we did when we were younger. So for me, one of the things that's helped me cultivate a continued sense of wonder has been the web telescope that replaced the Hubble telescope that NASA launched into outer space maybe, I don't know, a year or so ago. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of these photographs, but some of these photographs that the Webb telescope is sending back are just amazing to me. Uh, the astronomers tell us that essentially because what the Webb telescope is seeing are so many light years away, it's almost as if you're getting a view into the past. So some of these, they say these are photographs of the way that the, that the universe appeared prior to the formation of the earth. I mean, just in incredible as you look at that and you see just uh, the way that the universe used to be. There's another picture that's become pretty famous. They've titled it The Pillars of Creation. And as you look at this picture called The Pillars of Creation, I don't know about you, but it, it takes my mind back to the book of Job, wherever Job says, uh, the Lord says rather, that he has designed the earth from its very foundations. And so we have this God who has drawn out exactly how the world and how the universe was supposed to be designed. And when you look at those, you say, wow, our God is bigger than the universe because he made this. I mean, that's incredible. The scripture says he speaks it into existence. One photograph that wasn't taken by the Webb telescope, but another picture that I love, it really has helped me understand just the vastness of the universe and helped me understand how small we are, is a picture that is sometimes called by NASA the pale blue Dot. Now, this is a photograph that was taken not by the Webb telescope, but was instead taken by the Voyager spacecraft as it was passing Neptune many years ago. So Voyager happened to be passing Neptune and snapped this photograph. And you see there uh, in the picture, you see kind of that, that white stripe that's off-center just to the right. And then you see that pale blue dot that is one pixel in size right there in the midst of that white stripe. And that is planet Earth. Uh, that's Earth from Neptune's point of view. And you think about it, you look at that dot, and you think there are eight billion people on that dot. And then you think, wow, we are small compared to the universe, and God is so very big. Wonder begins, I think, whenever we realize just how big our God truly is. You know, long before uh, we had the technology that we have today, uh, the ancient psalmist uh, spoke about this. In Psalm 19, verse one, uh, the psalmist looks up at the night sky, I would imagine, or at the maybe a, a sunrise or a sunset, and says, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Before we can see into space the way that we can now, 
uh, just with the naked eye, the psalmist looks at it and says, God, the heavens are declaring your glory, right? What you have made is incredible and magnificent and beautiful, right? And here's the part that's interesting, the part that captures me. As magnificent and beautiful as God's creation is, as large and powerful as these uh, bodies are in the sky, he is only more. He's only more. He's more beautiful, more majestic, more magnificent, more powerful than anything that he has made. It's who he is. There's another psalmist, or another part in the book of Psalms in uh, chapter eight where the psalmist uh, recollects similar things. He says, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Again, standing before, maybe not the sky, but before creation itself and just uh, the world that we inhabit and saying, God, your name is majestic in this world. I see your fingerprints everywhere. But just a little bit later in verse four of this particular chapter, after recollecting like, God, I see you and your majesty in this world. Thinking about himself, the psalmist writes, what is man that you are mindful of him? Why is it that God has a preoccupation with us? You see that pale blue dot and you recognize this is a, a photograph taken from inside of our solar system, inside of a larger galaxy, inside of a larger universe, and you ask, why is God so interested in those people? What is it about us that causes him to spend his time and energy and his love on you and on me? That's really the question today. Why would a God who is omnipotent, right, all-powerful in his nature, why would he choose to make himself helpless as a baby in our world? Why would he do that? Why would a God who is omniscient, who knows everything, Right? Why would he choose to live among people with such unbelievably limited understanding of how the universe works? Again, this is the maker of the universe itself. Why would a God who's omnipresent, who can be anywhere and everywhere at the same time, choose to come to a specific point in space and time? These are the questions in front of us today. This is the cosmic landscape of Christmas. Right, when we back up to far more than 30,000 feet, right, and look at why did God come the way that God came to our world? I think we have some of the answers in, in John chapter one. If you have a Bible, I wanna ask you to turn there with me today. And I wanna read you uh, one verse from John chapter one. It says this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we observed his glory the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So why would this God then decide to leave a vast heavenly paradise that's larger than the universe to be so powerful and yet choose to become human? Why would he do that? I think one of the first reasons that we see is that he would do that because he wants us to know who he is and he wants us to know who we were created to be. If you look at that verse that Kirk just read, John 1, verse 14, you'll notice there that it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I, I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates it in his translation of the Bible called The Message. It says in that particular translation, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. 
Now, that word there in that verse that says dwelt among us, it's actually a reference back to the tabernacle from uh, the Old Testament where the people of God would have a tent they would set up to meet with God, sometimes known as the tent of meeting. So um, in that place, they would set up the tabernacle and there the priests would go in and they would meet with the, the, the God of the Bible face to face. And what the scripture says in John 1, verse 14, is that Jesus took on flesh and tabernacled among us. In other words, it was a way that he moved into the neighborhood, lived among us, so that we could know who he was. Now, you know this as well as I do. You may think that you know someone, but you really know someone when you live with them, right? You live with them, you're like, oh, oh, I didn't know you were like that. Okay, now that's that's how you are, right? (laughs) A lot of us in this room, not through any fault of our own, but we really don't know who the God of the Bible is. A lot of us think of the God of the Bible in the same way that we think of the gods we learned about in high school when we read about Greek and Roman mythology back in English class. And the whole purpose of the New Testament is for us to understand that the God of the Scripture, the God of the Bible, is actually nothing like those gods. So it's not really any fault of our own that that's been projected into our hearts and our minds because it's what a lot of people have thought about divinity and deity for a very long time. But the whole purpose of the Scripture is for you to see that the God of the Bible revealed in Jesus isn't anything like that. He wants you to know that he's not like that. And so what did he do? He lived with us to show you who he truly was. Just as an example, it says in John 1:14 that we just read that we have observed his glory. So we've observed his glory. Most of us, whenever we think about glory, we have a particular way of understanding that. My kids right now are watching the Percy Jackson series on Disney Plus, and they're talking about getting glory in that series. And again, it's a series that harkens back to Greek and Roman mythology. And what I want you to know, most of us think about glory, we think about glory in that way, where people pay us this adulating attention, where it's almost a reverential sense of worship, where they are are unthinking in the way that they just give us this sense of glory. But God, revealed in Jesus in the Bible completely redefines what glory is. How does he do that? He gives of himself. He dies on a cross. He does that because he demonstrates his love. I think about the parents of young kids in this room. I mean, they're exhausted, right? I mean, they're up all night. These kids are up. They're, they're crying. They're hungry. They need to be changed, this kind of thing. And you start to think, this is a terrible way to spend my life. And what I want you to hear is that actually is glorious. It's glorious. It's glorious because that's way, the way that the Bible defines glory. Because the Bible says that glory is when you love someone so deeply that you will do anything for them. So, God takes on flesh in the person of Jesus so that we can know him, so that he'll live among us and say, I'm not like those other gods, I'm actually a very different God and I want you to know who I am today and so I've become flesh to be among you so you'll see exactly who I am today and that's what Christmas does, we get to know God. But then also, in doing so, we discover who we were meant to be. You see, the God of the scripture didn't simply make the universe and the stars and the nebulae and the galaxies and the solar systems. The God of the Bible also specifically and intentionally made each of us in this room. You were designed, and the Bible says that God fearfully and wonderfully made each person here. Now, here's what I want you to understand. If God fearfully and wonderfully made you, 
he would know best how your life ought to operate. So in the same way that God orders the stars and the heavens, he wants to order your life. So your, your body can operate in, uh, on its own, but he wants you to have an operating system for your life that looks just like Jesus. Whenever we live like Jesus, we live how God created us to be. Jesus is the only person who lived to be fully and completely as a human surrendered to God's will and way of life. And that's what God wants for you today. So whenever we step into that form of glory, that form of glory, that self-giving love, then we begin to live the life that God wants us to live. I, I saw a video this week that reminded me of how God has made us to step into that form of glory. So let's take a look at this video. Direct your attention to the screens and watch this. Guess what I am for the nativity? I'm a classic one. Classic role, is it? Classic part. Yeah. Um, Joseph. No. Uh... One of the three wise men? No. What are the innkeepers? No. Um, but it's a classic part? Yeah. Okay. Um, you tell me then, because... I'm door holder number three. I'll be holding doors. That's amazing. Holding doors for who? Um, probably um, Joseph and Mary. Oh, my gosh. Were you pleased when they said that? Yeah. And... And I was like, I'm a door holder, get in there, let's go, yes. Whoa. And, and, and maybe because there's no room, I'll probably be just low, be like, just coming in, and then I'll just slam, them in, slam the door in their face. <laughs> Is that your star role? I'll probably, maybe. I'll probably be dressed up as a door. I don't think you're going to be a door. I think you're going to be a door holder. No, I'll have to wear, like, brown. Really? Yeah. Excellent. That's, well, that's really smart, Milo. I love Milo. <laughs> uh, Milo gets our hearts because we all know in this room there is no door holder number three in the story. And yet, Milo is thrilled to play door holder number three. Why? Because he's thrilled to simply have a part. And you discover the glory of God not when you live for yourself. There's a whole lot of people living for themselves that are miserable. But whenever you discover how God made you to live for the sort of glory described in the scripture, where you live a life of self-giving love, then you discover who God made you to be. And that's the first reason that God became flesh, so that we would know who he is, but also know who we've been created to be. The second reason that Jesus came the way he came at Christmas is one that I'll be honest, I fear that we might miss, particularly how profound it really is. Steve has already mentioned it to agree, but to a degree, but the, the second reason Jesus comes that we learn from this particular passage is so that God can tangibly demonstrate his love to us as human beings. The reason he comes the way he comes is to tangibly demonstrate that love to us, you think about this, God didn't just intend to love us. He didn't just feel love towards us. He didn't just tell us that he loved us. He demonstrated it by sending Jesus into the world. There was action attached to that love. And as we know in our own experience with love, when people love us with action, that is love that we can believe in, right? That's love that's the kind of love that changes the world. I remember back in 1996, 
Uh, some of you will remember this as well, and some of you weren't born yet. That's also a thing, and that's okay. You've probably heard rumors, but in 96, there was a toy that was released into the world uh, called Tickle Me Elmo. Anybody remember Tickle Me Elmo? Yes, you do. Some of you were proud owners of Tickle Me Elmo. Your parents were better than other parents because they got you Tickle Me Elmo. But here's the thing. If you don't know Tickle Me Elmo, let me just give you a real quick crash course. They created a bunch of these uh, guys and manufactured them, but then quickly they found out that they didn't manufacture enough Tickle Me Elmos, and they ran into a supply uh, issue where people didn't have enough Tickle Me Elmos and things got a little hairy in the world. Let's just say that. Right? This is back in the day before everybody just hopped on Amazon and just purchased whatever they wanted. People went to stores to purchase things in those days. There was this amazing place called Toys R Us that people would go into. It's where a kid can be a kid. I think this was it's called. But anyway, we'd go into Toys R Us. We'd find these things. And like I'm telling you, things got rowdy. Right? This is back on Black Friday where people fought, like fisticuffs over toys, right? This is, uh, if you've seen the movie Jingle All the Way, very similar things were actually happening in the world around Tickle Me Elmo, around this vibrating little red plush doll. It was very strange, but these things were going on. And as a teenager at the time, I thought to myself, like, this is wild. People are irresponsible. These kids don't need it that much. Then I became an adult, right? <laughs> And it all started to make sense to me, things that I thought were ridiculous whenever I was a teenager. Uh, roughly 20 years later, fast forward, I can't believe it's been that long, uh, my son, who's now 12, uh, was a little guy, five, six years old, and he, for that particular Christmas, had fallen in love deep, abiding love with Paw Patrol. Can I get an amen? Right, anybody there? grateful for Paw Patrol. So for Christmas, he wanted all of the pups and all of their vehicles, okay, all of them, okay? So in our minds, we thought, this is doable. They're like 13 bucks a piece, right? You add that together, we can do this. There aren't like 90 of them, right? We just gotta put this little collection together. So we go and we start picking them up from Walmart and Target. We get Chase, we get Rubble, we get Rocky, we get Zuma, we get Sky, and we're, I'm like, that's awesome, babe, we did it. She's like, no, we still have one more. I'm like, okay, what's the one more? And some of you know it very well because you are a lover of Paw Patrol. He's on the screen, Marshall and his fire engine, right? So I'm like, okay, well, we just forgot. We go back to Target, we look on the shelf. Oh, that's weird, Marshall's not here. Oh, that's interesting. Go to, to Walmart, look on the shelf. Oh, that's interesting, Marshall's not here. And we start looking around at other Targets and other Walmarts. We start looking on Amazon. We're like, oh my gosh, where the heck is Marshall? Like, <laughs> what's happened? Somebody forgot to make a bunch of Marshalls or something. And over the course of the next few weeks, we were panicking because we're realizing like we're gonna end up on eBay and having to spend like 50 bucks for a toy that costs $13. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever lived this life? And we looked and we looked, we called grandparents, we called aunts and uncles, hey, go check yours in other cities. Hey, go to the part of town that nobody shops in, see if it's there, right? And we could not find this dog, right? Couldn't find him anywhere. So we wound up spending like 40 or 50 bucks on eBay to order this piece of plastic and get it sent to our house so that we could give it to Carter along with the other pups for Christmas. Why would we do this? Some of your answers are because you're idiots, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that may be true. But you know if you're in this room and a parent that the reason we did it is so that we could see that smile on Christmas morning, right? 
when he unwrapped it. We did it ultimately because we love that kid and we wanted him to be happy. We wanted him to have things that he wanted. You know, as I've gotten older in life and experienced some of these things, I look back on my parents and I recognize the incredible amount of effort that they had to put in to make Christmas happen for us. And you know what it's caused me to start to believe and start to experience internally is a great deal of gratitude towards my parents and the recognition that all of those gifts I got as a kid, the Nintendos and the Sega Genesis and the trains and all this, pale in comparison to the gift that my parents are to me, right? Their love, their sacrifice, all the things they did to give us what they gave us, that's the real gift of Christmas. They are the gift, right? Far more than anything that they could have given us on the front end. Some of you kids in the room need to hear that today. Can I get an amen, right, from some of the moms and dads? God does the same for us at Christmas. We were thinking earlier this week about uh, the gifts that God gives and why he came, and it's true. God came to express his love to us. He went through all that he went through in becoming a human and suffering and dying on the cross to earn our salvation because he loves us. That's what he did. But at the end of the day, when Jesus comes, right, into that manger, when Jesus is born in Bethlehem, what God is saying is that when he looks at the universe and he looks at us as human beings and asks the question, what do they need the very most? His answer is me. They need me the most. When God looks at us as humans and asks, what do human beings need most fundamentally? The answer is they need my way and my truth and my life and they need my uh, death and my burial and my resurrection. They need my ascension. They need the gift of the Holy Spirit. They need my redemption. They need my reconciliation. They need to understand how to be human. They need all these things and if they're gonna have any of these things, they've gotta have me. Right? And so this is the fascinating thing about Christmas. God is the gift and the giver all at one time, right, when he sends Jesus. And so at Christmas time, we remind ourselves that when Jesus came, God was offering a gift to the world, right? And the greatest gift would be to earn our salvation in a right relationship with him. And so that is what the gift of Christmas is. The gift of Christmas is Jesus himself. That's what God has come to give us. That's the reason that God became flesh. The reason for Christmas is so that we could have relationship with Jesus. Now, some of us today are struggling with this for maybe one of a, a couple of reasons. There's probably a couple of different groups in this room struggling with this. One group is the group of folks in this room we're making pretty good money, you've got a pretty good job, uh, you have a good family or friends, uh, you've really, from an external perspective, you look like you have your life together, but inwardly, you feel like something is missing. On dark days, you probably even would say you're kind of miserable. What I want you to hear is, is the reason that you feel that way is because, although you probably wouldn't use these words, you're essentially worshiping yourself. You're, you're just giving your best energy just to make yourself Happy, And what I want you to hear is that Christmas is the answer to your misery because you will discover that your joy is found 
in giving honor, glory, and love to Jesus over yourself. Now that seems counterintuitive, but it is true. The Bible lets us know that our source of peace and hope and purpose in this life is found when we, we follow after Jesus. The other group of people in this room that might be struggling with this are people who are like, well, I wanna believe in God, but why would he have let X happen to me? Whatever that is. Maybe you went through a divorce. Maybe you were abused or abandoned. Uh, maybe you've received a really difficult diagnosis or you lost a loved one, grieved that loss. And, and you're here today and you would say, if God was real, why would he let that happen? And here's the thing I want you to hear today. The Bible never says that bad things won't happen. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. But what the difference is for people who believe in Jesus, are you ready for this? Those of us who go through pain without God, we do so essentially on our own. But those of us who place our faith in God, the scripture says that Jesus will never leave us and he'll never forsake us. In fact, the Bible says that he walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. In other words, in the darkest time in your life, he's right there with you. So if you're in a dark moment right now, what I want you to hear is that if you'll place your faith in Jesus, he won't take the circumstances away, but he will be with you. You'll never be alone. And I don't know about you, but being lonely in dark times is so hard. And if you haven't gone through this dark moment yet, or if you think oh, there's probably worse days ahead, what I want you to hear is this. Why would you ever wanna walk through those days without him? And he'll be with you. And here's the thing, this is the story of Christmas. God wants more than anything else to be with you. That's what he wants, that's why he became flesh. He took on flesh to show you that he is willing to give up heaven to be present with you. The Bible tells us that Jesus died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin and our shame so that we would know that he will do anything, even go through an excruciating death to have a relationship with us. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin and for mine because he wants to be with us. The Bible tells us that God, in the person of Jesus, experienced the grave and death and all that entails. And why did he do that? He wanted to conquer death so that those who placed their faith in him could have the promise of eternal life. This is what I want you to hear. God will do anything to have a relationship with you. He just wants you today to choose it. And that's the glorious gift of Christmas. And that's really the wonder of Christmas. The wonder of Christmas is that God wants you, period. He wants you. And you can have him today, and you can walk in a relationship with him today. So here in a minute, I'm going to pray, and I'm gonna ask everyone in this room, if you have yet to say yes to Jesus in your life, and you're ready to follow him, I'm gonna ask you to do two things. Number one, here in a minute, I'm gonna have everyone bow their heads, and if you say, wow, I want that. I wanna follow Jesus. I wanna surrender my life to him. I wanna receive his forgiveness and the promise of eternity. I'm ready to become a Christian. I'm ready to follow him. If that's you, here in a second when I pray, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand and pray silently with me where you are. That's number one. And then after the service is over, I'm gonna ask you to do a second thing, and that's what this is. We have a table set up with a lantern on it right outside these doors under the TVs right next to the restrooms. We have another one set up over by the live nativity in the commons. I'm gonna ask you to stop by there and let us give you a Bible 
and pray with you. And why do we want to do that? Because we believe that this decision is the most important decision you'll ever make, and we want to help you follow faithfully after God. Now, if you're here with friends or family, you might be thinking, well, they're probably in a hurry, want to get out of here. I want you to hear me. That's not the case. If you make that decision, you stop at that table, it's gonna take two minutes, three minutes, and they will be thrilled that you stop at that table. Don't be afraid to say, hey, I, I made a decision today and I wanna stop at the table. Um, others of us in the room, uh, we may be thinking, well, you know, I'm from out of town. This isn't gonna be my church. That's okay. We wanna give you a Bible anyway. We wanna pray with you, we wanna encourage you. Same thing, you may be thinking, um, I'm part of another church already. That's okay too. Uh, any of that is not a problem with us. We want to encourage you and pray with you and help you take your next step, whatever that may be. Now, I just wanna encourage you a little bit. Church, in this room, if people today come to faith, if they raise their hand here in a minute, what would your response be if people decide to follow Jesus? What would your response be? Yeah, right. Every person in this room will be applauding you, and I want you to hear this. The Bible says in Luke 15 that even the angels in heaven celebrate when someone who comes to faith, someone comes to faith in Jesus. So we'll be celebrating this room, and they'll be celebrating in heaven. So what I want you to hear is that we want to give you that opportunity if you're ready to say yes to Jesus today. So if you would, everybody just bow your head with me right now. And exactly what I just said, if this is you and you're ready to come to faith in Jesus. We've already had, I don't know how many people at this point, but a lot of folks already say yes to Jesus. If that's you, I just wanna pray for you right now. So would you just do me a favor and raise your hand right now and say, yep, Steve, that's me. I'm ready to place my faith in Jesus. Just raise your hand up real high so that I can see it. Okay, raise them up. All right, I see you. I see you. Who else? Raise them up. Okay, I see you guys over there. But who else? Just raise them up. Okay, who else? Anybody else? It's kind of, I got some uh, light right in my eyes. Okay, I see you over here. All right, would you just raise it up real high so I can see it and just keep holding it up? Okay, I see you. Okay, okay. Anybody else? Okay, I see you in the back. Thank you. Anybody else? Okay. All right. You can put your hands down and just where you're at, would you just pray with me? Just pray with me, just kind of this prayer silently. God, Thank you for loving me so much that you would do whatever it takes to be in relationship with me. God, I believe what I've heard today, that Jesus is your son, that he died for my sin, that he conquered death to give me the promise of eternal life, and that you wanna be with me forever, I believe that. And God, I'm ready to now not only believe that, but follow you to start a new life today ready to follow after you. Thank you, God, for the gift of your son. Thank you for the gift this Christmas. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, let's just thank the Lord for his goodness today. Yeah, so good. So if you just raise your hand, if you raise your hand and you made a decision when the service is over, please stop by one of these tables. Let us give you a Bible, pray with you. We're so grateful. Church, let's just give God one more round of applause and thank him for what he's done today. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you have any questions about what you just heard, we'd love to talk with you. You can get connected at hnw.org about what we believe or how to join a small group or follow us on social media as well. Thank you so much for joining us and we'd love to see you soon.